Recently, I have been reading a fabulous book by Annabelle Streets, and it is called 52 Ways to Walk, The Surprising Science of Walking for Wellness and Joy One Week at a Time. It's delightful. It has 52 really short chapters in the book, and it's full of delightful stories, summaries of scientific research on the benefits of walking, and some smart tips on how to walk, which believe it or not, all of us need some tips on how to walk. We don't know how, and this book tells you how to do it. It's great. Um, Well, there's one chapter called Take a Night Walk, and uh, the author, Miss Streets, recounts a story in 1994 of a massive earthquake that struck Los Angeles. It knocked down power lines, cut off electricity, and the the entire city of Los Angeles was plunged into darkness. As power was starting to get restored to the city and phone lines were reconnected, emergency call centers were flooded with reports of an unknown giant silvery cloud in the sky. And nobody knew what this cloud could be. Any guesses? The Milky Way. Aliens is close. But it was the Milky Way. Residents of Los Angeles had never seen the Milky Way. Pictured before you. Uh, because the lights in this city never permitted them to see that which is visible. Which I think is a perfect illustration of Los Angeles, if there ever was one. But anyway, the author goes on to talk about the benefits of taking a walk in the dark. And she gives some great tips about walking in the dark. We, this morning, are going to read a story from the Bible about a walk in the dark. And walking, in general, is a very common metaphor for life and for faith. And that makes sense, because walking is an enormous part of human life. I mean, besides eating and sleeping, walking is probably up there, like top five things we do as human beings. We celebrate a child's first steps, we evaluate walkability of neighborhoods and cities nowadays, and we're aware if someone loses their ability to walk due to injury or chronic disability, you know, it's a big deal, and we tend to that. And we're, we're aware of that in ourselves and in others. Writers of the Bible pick up on this metaphor of walking, and they use it a lot. There are literally hundreds of verses that talk about walking as a metaphor. Here are just a few. Deuteronomy 10, so now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all God's ways, to love God, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Psalm 128, happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in God's ways. Proverbs 9, there's tons in Proverbs, dozens. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Some good wisdom for us this morning. I love that. Don't be immature. Hello. (laughs) Thank you. Good tip. Good tip, Proverbs. I love it. And then finally, Micah 6.8, very famous. He has told you, O mortal, What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Uh, We could do this all morning. Like I said, hundreds of verses. But I want to take a deeper look now at a story of a walk in the dark. And it's actually a story of Jesus. When Jesus took a walk 
in the dark, and it is uh, unusual, to say the least. So we're going to pick up the story about halfway through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has just performed a miracle where he feeds thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And here we go. This is uh, chapter 14 of Matthew, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Great story. Classic. This has a little bit of everything. Uh, It starts with Jesus dismissing the crowd, and he makes the disciples get into the boat. Now, the Greek word, which we don't have access to because we're all contemporary English speakers, but the Greek word is a rather forceful verb. Okay, so Jesus did not tell his disciples. He did not ask them. He made them get into the boat, okay, like strapping a toddler into a car seat. Sorry, that was rather forceful. (laughs) Okay. Whew. Um, anyway, getting the disciples into the boat and then dismissing them so Jesus can have alone time on a mountaintop to pray. That's in the evening, right? Like the evening after supper time, that's in the evening. And the disciples have been rowing all through the night. Cue Cindy Lauper, anyone? <laughs> yes, we need a soundtrack for this awesome story. Then we pick up the story in the fourth watch of the night, our story tells us, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch of the night, also known as when my toddlers go to, or excuse me, when my teenagers go to bed. <laughs> toddlers too, maybe? Oh, now, it's, it's in the night. It's the fourth watch of the night, but it's light enough. It seems like daybreak is starting to happen because they can see Jesus approaching them on the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's have some quick fun with maps. We won't do this long, don't worry. But if you like maps, you'll love this. Sea of Galilee is the little blue thing in the upper half of this map. It's not huge, but it's also not small, okay? It's like 10, 12 miles north to south. Um, 
And Jerusalem, Judea is in the south. In the north is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. That's where a lot of the stories of Jesus take place are in the north. This is a map of the topography uh, surrounding the lake. And you can see all the bumps. Those are mountains or hills. And so, uh, and the sea actually sits 700 feet below sea level. Lots of mountains and valleys around it. It's below sea level. What happens then is there can be just tunnels of wind that hit it just right, whipping through the mountains or hills, coming into the sea, and there's nothing to block the wind. And so it can make formidable forces there. Uh, and you see a bunch of stories in the Gospels about this happening. So even though some of the disciples come from families that fish, like that's their occupation, uh, that's how they make their living, and they've, they've grown up on this sea, they know it very well, it still surprises them sometimes, the quick change of elements. Uh, finally, if you see the little yellow line there, I found this on a blogger site, you can find everything on the internet. It's fabulous and horrible and everything. But anyway, I found this on a blogger site, which is a, a pretty good guess or estimation of the, the yellow line of where Jesus was walking all through the night to get to the disciples. So pretty fun. Okay, so Jesus walking on water. Let's just think about this for a second. It's kind of fun to think about the mechanics of how this worked. It's very stormy or windy at least. The waves are big. The wind is high. So the waves are going like this. And you kind of wonder, is Jesus going up and down? Is he just like plowing straight through it, right? And the waves are kind of hitting his knees or thighs as he's walking. What's happening here? The mechanics of this. I can see him on his tiptoes sometimes maybe, you know. I don't know. And he's walking to them, and the disciples start to see this figure approaching them on the water. There's heavy, heavy, high wind. So you imagine the clothing that he's wearing is whipping in the wind. His hair is flying furiously, tossed about. He would, he would just look like a wild figure. And as he gets closer, it's a, oh, no wonder they think he's a ghost, an apparition, a spirit hovering over the waters. Jesus says to them, take heart, it's I. Do not be afraid. Only he's shouting this, right? He has to shout this to be heard over the wind. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter shouts back. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus does so with that invitation, come. Peter steps out on the boat. Seems to be working rather well. Good job, Peter. And then, like the old movies with like quicksand, you can sort of watch Peter <laughs> start to sink. And Jesus immediately catches him. I've got you. I've got you. They re-enter the boat together. The wind ceases, and the disciples turn, and they worship Jesus because there is only one Lord of the wind and the sea, and it is Yahweh, their God, and their God is sitting next to them in the boat. 
Well, as far as the stories in the Gospels go, this is great. I mean, it's one of the most memorable. And part of the power of this story is its metaphorical power, right? All of us are in the boat. We can all imagine times in life, maybe right now, when it feels like we are facing formidable powers of chaos. And no matter how hard we row, we don't feel like we're making much progress. And then, just when there's no sign of really getting anywhere, light starts to come, and we see figure approach us. And it's Jesus. Jesus is here, and Jesus is unaffected by the chaos. He's walking right on top of it, unfazed. Nothing's sinking him. And he's here, and he calls to us, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And now what, friends? We're sitting in the boat, and Jesus is here. What are we going to do? Can we trust him in the midst of this chaos? Do we want to step out of the boat like Peter did? Can Jesus keep us afloat in the midst of this chaos? Now, this invitation works on so many different levels, right? It works on just the personal challenges we could find ourselves in day to day. Any kind of challenge feels chaotic. Jesus is here. It's okay. We can think about it in terms of the big, powerful forces in our world, the economic realities, political, social upheaval that we experience. Is Jesus unaffected by the chaos? You bet. And Jesus is here with us in the midst of those chaotic forces. But this invitation to walk with Jesus, it works for our interior life just as well. At any time, at any moment, we may contend with our own interior chaos. Our inner world can sometimes feel like the elements of this story, self-destructive tendencies causing chaos within us. We can feel like we're working against ourselves sometimes. I don't know if you resonate with this. I certainly do. And here comes Jesus. Jesus approaches us in our innermost being. Jesus' spirit inside of us. Jesus' spirit speaks to our spirit. I'm here. Take heart. It is I. If you allow me to extend the metaphor just a second, the different parts of ourselves may be like all the disciples in the boat. And maybe there's just a single part of us that's willing to walk with Jesus on the chaos. Just one disciple, one interior part of us. And maybe that's all Jesus needs. When Jesus says, come, walk with me, just that one part of us that can say yes. And as we say yes, as we listen to that just small part of us, good things happen. Really good things happen. Going back to the book I introduced, The 52 Ways to Walk, uh, unfortunately, there's no walking on water <laughs> chapter. That would be particularly awesome, um, but no, no such tips, sorry. But there are a couple chapters on walking in water and walking near water, both are great. There's another chapter entitled Walk with 
others. Walk with others. And in it, the author, Streets, she summarizes some of the research that's been done on walking with others. I have no idea how this research is done, actually. Um, she doesn't go into it in detail. But researchers, and I hope we can trust them, have identified a number of benefits that happen when we walk with other people. And here's a summary of them. We can experience greater feelings of social connection, acceptance, and belonging. We can experience a greater sense of safety, which makes sense, right? Safety in numbers. We're in this together. We're walking. Uh, there's what anthropologists call fleeting sociability, okay, which means there's lots of changes or slight detours in conversation. And this works particularly well if you're in a larger group because you're talking to one person and then you turn a corner and another person joins in the conversation. Then you go back here with this other person, et cetera, et cetera. But this happens even with you're just with one other person too. Lots of changes, little detours in the conversation. And then finally, there's a sense of relaxed intimacy, another technical term they call this, and that's due to synchronous movement and intermittent eye contact. So there's a sense of if we're moving together, we're in this together. It's side-by-side -side intimacy. There are lots of kinds of intimacy. We could talk about face-to-face -face intimacy, of course, and many others, but this is a real side-by-side, -side. and then there can be a moment of intermittent eye contact where you're seeing each other, recognizing you're reestablishing eye contact, then you're back on the road looking forward, right? All right, if we reflect for a moment on these benefits, I'm sure all of us can recall uh, experiencing something like this, right? When we've been on walks with friends or loved ones, on vacation, taking a hiking trail, something like that. Um, my wife, Allie, and I, we love to take walks. Almost daily, we take walks, and so we certainly experience these benefits and many others. And then I've actually been walking with friends now, and it's been so, so delightful. I've just really, really enjoyed that kind of exercise and uh, fun thing to do. Let's apply these to the life of faith now, okay? So these are scientifically proven, research-based benefits. We can then think about, if we apply all of this, this lens on walking with Jesus, so when we walk with Jesus, we feel that sense of connection, belonging, and acceptance. When we walk with Jesus, we gain a greater sense of safety and security. Jesus tethers us to ultimate security and safety. He's walking on the chaos, unfazed. When we walk with Jesus, we can know a deeper kind or maybe a different kind of intimacy, an intimacy with God side by side, and an intimacy with ourselves as we get to know ourselves in this walk. And when we walk with Jesus, if we start to feel overwhelmed by chaos and we start to sink, Jesus is right there. Jesus is next to us, reaching out, immediately catching us. Powerful. This is it. I, I feel like this is a really fundamental aspect of faith. You know, walking with Jesus, like I said, it's a very, very common metaphor. Even Jesus' first invitation to his disciples is, come, follow me. You know, it's movement, it's directional, it's dynamic. We are going together. Come with me. Let's walk together through this life. 
I tried to experiment with this a little bit this week. Uh, so I'm often up early uh, in the fourth watch of the night. <laughs> and um, so I went out one morning just by myself, and I tried to get like into the dark. And it's a little difficult in my neighborhood because there are a lot of street lights and a lot of folks on their houses keep their lights on. And so I walk kind of away from our house, and I'm just sort of trying to practice this, right? Just practice walking with Jesus in the midst of darkness or in the midst of chaos. I'm now in literal darkness trying to see what that does. And I noticed, though, I was a little bit anxious about trying to achieve darkness. <laughs> right? It was a little, it was funny. So I laughed about that to myself, at myself. And which also was itself an interesting lesson for me that as I was walking into the darkness, I was just very attuned to darkness, very attuned to what was going on around me. And it took effort. It took some effort for me to recenter and sort of direct my internal attention to Jesus. And I could just say, Jesus. I would say it inwardly, quietly to myself as I'm walking. Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus now. As I reflected on that later, you know, I began to just think about our world. I don't know about you, but it feels like our world is especially chaotic. It's hard to know. You know, I know the word unprecedented. It's become so precedented to use the word unprecedented. So it's, it's very difficult to know. We tend to, you know, overemphasize our own thing today versus other times in history. So who knows? But it feels real. COVID concerns ongoing, economic upheaval, political instability, fracturing, just lots and lots of things. And these things can feel like they are out of our control. Many of them are. This is the wind and the waves. Here we are, friends. This is our boat. We are in the midst of strong, powerful forces that are kind of blocking where we're trying to go. We love to build a world with greater love, camaraderie, justice, equality. We're not sure we can get there because of these forces. We're going to keep rowing. But here is Jesus. Here's Jesus. Our Jesus who's walking right on top of the chaos. Jesus looks at the problematic elements of our world and he is not afraid. He sees them. He knows them. And he's with us in the midst of it. We can hear him calling to us, come, walk with me. Walk with me in the midst of the chaos. I am here. Take heart. It is I, Jesus. And the question is, for each of us, how will we respond to this elemental invitation from Jesus? Do we want to walk with him? Will we trust him? This is our question.
I want to lead us in a prayer exercise as we close, uh, just to take a practice with this. So I'm going to invite you to do a little bit of imagination or visualizing prayer, we'll call it that, um, where we are going to enter into a walk. Okay, I'm going to invite you to pick a familiar walk, so maybe that's your neighborhood or a park, or maybe a walk from your childhood that you think of that's rather fond. And place yourself in that walk, and then we're going to invite Jesus to join us in that walk. Okay? So please... Pray with me, however you're comfortable. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, help us to enter into your presence. So go ahead and try to imagine or visualize uh, a walk that you're familiar with. Just place yourself there. You're walking through it. If you're someone who doesn't visualize, you can just make like a mental checklist of the things that are familiar about this particular walk. Notice the details. Is it light? Is it dark? Do you see, is it a natural landscape? Do you see a lot of human-made structures? Are there other people with you or just you? It's up to you. Now I invite you to imagine Jesus there with you, walking with you. Or you can imagine God. Whatever image of God works for you, maybe you just have a sense of God's presence, that's fine too. So God's presence walking with you, Jesus walking with you, whatever works for you. Notice if Jesus or God are directing your attention anywhere. Or what do you see? How do you feel? If there's anything you want to say to Jesus or to God, go ahead and tell. Tell that thing. Say that thing. And you can gradually bring yourself back to the present here in the boat at Sanctuary. God, would you help us hear that call from Jesus? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Help us to hear those words and take those in deep today. In Jesus' name, amen.